Christmas. We're geeking out. Uh, yeah, but uh, and, but those are costly, and I'm not talking about those. <laughs> I happen to love First Focal Plane. I also love First Focal Plane because this is the Frugal Firearms podcast, and both are FFP. episode one of the frugal firearms podcast i'm craig i'm here with my co-host ken and we are here to talk about value in the shooting industry all the stuff that you want to put on your guns but in an affordable manner uh all of us have bills to pay i have a lot of bills to pay ken do you have any bills to pay absolutely ken what sort of bills do you pay you got your mortgages, you got your student loans for not me personally, but for others. Uh, yeah, you're too old to have student loans. Yeah, that's just probably true. But no, there, there are definitely all sorts of things coming up. Uh, if you maintain a more than one residence, uh, you have multiple uh, property taxes and insurance and just about everything else. Oh, so you're one of those rich guys that has multiple residences, huh? I have. Two residences, that is true, but very frugally done in both sides, I would like to point out. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll substantiate that. And uh, the idea here, guys, is that you are listening to a podcast that is going to try to save you that hard-earned money so you can do things like buy food or buy gas or pay your mortgage or help your kids with school or just stay out of debt. Um, but we all love guns and we all love shooting. Uh, we just can't afford all the stuff that we want to put on our guns. Uh, whether it be that optic that costs as much as a new car, uh, whether it be ammunition that costs you know more than a gallon of milk uh, per round. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring you awareness of those things that are going to let you go out and have fun uh, and let you experience shooting at a reasonable cost. Uh, who's this show not for, Ken? People who have more money than cents. Yeah, and also people who have institutional money to buy the guns that they use. Uh, if if you're a, uh, a special forces type guy, if you're a law enforcement type guy, and you've got a budget that, uh, as far as you're concerned, is essentially unlimited, um, you might get some pointers from this show, but you're probably not picking your gear. Uh, this is for the guy who has to pay for his own stuff. And I'm not saying anything bad about all those honored you know people out there who protect us uh, both locally and overseas um, but the reality is that most of us you know have to choose between do we put that new scope on our gun do we buy that next gun or do we make other choices and this is the show to help you make smart choices so you can have both so what are our guidelines and our philosophy here Ken well we want to look out into the market space we want to bring to you examples, and both from our personal as well as from what's available in the industry, uh, where we have we believe there's exceptional value, where a person can uh, get a product or a firearm or whatever it might be, um, 
that that basically meets the goal. Perhaps it's not up to a, a, a wartime standard of you know crawling through the mud, uh, you know, for six months or something like that. But it, for the average individual who who uh, just has basically average needs, it will be more than fit the bill. Yep. And we talked about in episode zero. And by the way, did you notice I just said episode zero? Yes, there is an episode zero that will be posted. That one is the collector's edition of the Food of Firearms podcast because uh, that was our, our first attempt at this. And this being attempt number two, but it is episode one, so our first official podcast, if you will. Uh, and we hope you subscribe, by the way, uh, through your uh, podcast aggregator, whether that be iTunes, whether it be Spotify, and uh, or any of the other services that are out there. Uh, please leave us a thumbs up. Please leave us a good review, uh, because it does help more people become aware of the podcast. So, little disclaimer for you guys. Is this show giving legal advice, Ken? Absolutely not. Why not? Because we are not lawyers. What you hear here is basically our personal opinions. And if you need legal advice, who will we send you to? Your local lawyer, who knows your local laws, who knows not only your state laws, uh, but anything that would be uh, in your municipality that that matters in terms of of owning, carrying, employing guns. Um, Because, you know what, that stuff's kind of dry and boring and we don't want to talk about it. Um, and we're not qualified to talk about it. So if you take something uh, away from this show and you get the wrong idea, who's that on? You. That is correct. Um, so uh, what else do we want to do in this show? We want to keep it concise. We're going to aim for not more than about 45 minutes in a show, certainly never more than an hour, because you have other things to do, probably going out and earning money, frankly. And we're also going to provide you uh, in future shows. Uh, we have a list of uh, companies lined up that we're going to be talking to. So, you know, for this show, it's going to be myself and Ken talking. For the first few shows, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, once we have our partners lined up, we're going to be talking to various leaders in the industry. And by, the, by value, I mean leadership in terms of value, not necessarily in terms of the best of the best, but the best that people can afford. So we're going to be having those people on for probably 15 or 20 minute segments so you can hear you know, from them why they think that their companies are value leaders in the industries that they belong to, uh, whether that be in firearms themselves, whether it be in optics, whether it be in training, whether it be in cleaning gear, whether it be in other types of accessories that go on your guns, various types of furniture, various types of people who provide services, and the services can be you know, everywhere from a person who tunes up guns or coats them or a person who simply brings value to your gun, makes it something that you're happy using, that that gives you pride and gives you joy and maybe makes your gun a conversation piece for others at the range. Um, Because that's how we get enjoyment out of our guns, isn't it? Uh, Getting them out of the safe, getting them out into the field, getting them, you know, whether it be uh, to the square range, whether it be out hunting, whether it be showing your kids or showing new uh, shooters, showing your friends. Um, that's how we really experience guns and broaden this perspective of other people who otherwise would be maybe negative on guns. They get to experience it in a positive manner. But we only do that you know, by having the guns out there being used. So affordable ammunition is a big part of that. We're going to talk about that today. Affordable guns are a big part of that. Affordable accessories, things that make things easier for people to shoot. 
and more enjoyable to shoot. That's what we're after. You do not have to spend uh, a couple thousand dollars on optic to enjoy a gun. You do not have to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a trigger to enjoy a gun. You don't have to spend dollars per round uh, to enjoy a gun. What you do have to do is you have to get out and use it. One of the topics today that we're going to talk about is training. We're going to get into that shortly, though. But we didn't explain, and we will explain in this one, that for our products that we're going to be covering, uh, we're going to have a value score. Mm -hmm. The value score is going to explain, uh, in our personal opinion, uh, whether we think it's a good investment or not. Now, you're not going to hear a lot of low value scores in this show. Why? Because the philosophy of the show is we're not here to dime out companies that we think are doing a poor job. Why would that be? Because our opinion is that, okay, there's obviously companies out there that just care about the bottom line and nothing else. But I'm an engineer by profession, and I know that most engineers really want to put out a good product because that's the thing that animates them, that keeps them interested in what they do. And the ability to put out a good product is important, and if you put out a product that's marginal, you put out a product that's flawed, and all you get is trolled and destroyed on the internet, uh, and your business suffers as a result, um, people can take that very personally. So what we're doing with companies where we find that there's less than perfection, you know, things that are, are even against a value proposition, not something we'd recommend, we're not throwing them under the bus. We're not going to bring people on the show that we feel um, don't represent value, and we're not going to pull a 60 minutes on them and assassinate them in front of our crowd. Uh, what we are going to do is we're going to work with those companies and try to help them improve their products so they can get to that point of offering value, and then we'll have them on the show. So you're not going to hear a lot of low scores. but No, and our scores are going to be a 1 to 10 scale, right. one, 1 being the lowest and the 10 showing the highest amount of value. Um, so that's basically what we're going to be doing. That'll give us the best understanding of the utility, the quality, and just the dollar value of it. Of it. Now, but when we look at value, though, you know, we might have different perspectives. We talked about this in episode zero a little bit. We that, did, yes. Yeah, my idea of value and Ken's idea of value might differ slightly. Now, what would those differences be? Well, you know, we have uh, ancillary uh, examples all over the place. Uh, uh, hotels, uh, you could view it that way. I'm interested in a, in, a, in a safe place to park my car, clean room, uh, comfortable bed, and a nice shower, and uh, at the low cost. And uh, You once described to me an adequate hotel room was one that was safe and dark at night. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and darkness is usually achievable unless you're, you know, you Close know, your the, eyes, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, north of the Arctic Circle in summer, or, you know, maybe not then. But other than that, yeah. Um, and for me, value might be a view from the 50th floor. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. You so know. so there are differences in, in opinions on value. And, and by the way, we, we understand that, that our listeners have different ideas on value as well. You know, to, to give a classic example... You know, Aimpoint might be the company that you think is value and that I might not um, because I don't necessarily want to spend the kind of money that they need for their optics. But there are legitimate users out there who sure. think that they're a fantastic value sure. because they offer the quality and consistency. 
So uh, going ahead, we're going to start assigning values, but Ken and I may not agree on what those value scores are because we have our own perspectives as do you. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, this week's topics, uh, one thing we're going to talk about, and as I mentioned, you know, this isn't all just about firearms, even though it is called the Frugal Firearms Podcast. It's things that enable frugally and responsibly shooting. We're going to talk about insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. And something that we think that now, now that um, you know carry is becoming constitutional, carry is is about to you know become the majority opinion across the states and even in countries uh, or countries I shouldn't have said countries in counties uh, and states where per- previously it wasn't as permissive uh, as it was before uh, because of some recent court findings. It, now, um, I think most of the country has gone to a shall issue uh, perspective. Yeah. Yep. It, it really appears to go that way. Correct. I mean, there are some states putting up some uh, roadblocks to that. You they got certainly your, are. You have the typical uh, candidates of New York, New Jersey, even California, um, who are not taking the most recent Bruin decision that came out of the United States Supreme Court this past year, about six months ago or so who are basically putting up every possible way that they can possibly hinder your constitutional uh, right to self-defense, the right to keep and bear arms. And I've noticed, uh, too, that in, um, you know, in California, where where Ken and I both live, um, there's now proposals to increase gun and ammunition taxes to confiscatory levels such that even if they can't get their way in the courts, they can backdoor their way to achieve their goals by making shooting simply prohibitively expensive. Now, to cut to the chase, a lot of our viewers who don't live in California might think we're idiots for living in California. But again, you know, it's a value proposition. And for us, there are, you know, values of being near family. Um, my employment, let's say, the employer I have wouldn't need me in one of the plain states. It just wouldn't make sense for what I do. <laughs> would not, no. Yes. So there are reasons, to, you know, even if you think that, that we're not very smart for sticking around in a state that's so uh, hostile to, uh, to gun ownership, I'll tell you this. I know people who've moved to other states and thought that they would escape their problems, and their problems are just chasing them there. That's correct. Sometimes it's better to stand and fight. Yeah, and and you have to understand, um, although right now California is definitely leaning left, I mean, this at one point in time was Reagan country. This was a conservative state. And I, and there are still, in my estimation, about 40% are, are pretty solidly conservative in the state, and 60% have, uh, have swung to the other uh, extreme. And that may change. I, I think it will, perhaps over time, as, uh, as people become just a little bit more uh, aware of reality. So, well, we hope that's the case. But if it's not the case, then you know, uh, in in the, that that goes back to my earlier point about get people out shooting. And and you know, an interesting mm-hmm. um, an interesting idea here. I live uh, and 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 Ken lives in San Diego County. Uh, we both belong to the San Diego County Gunners, and the their perspective is that they're apolitical. Uh, yeah. They are a single-issue organization. Great. That single issue is Second Amendment rights. So they invite the left and the right equally. Now, mm-hmm. is it more populated with people from the right? Of course it is. But at the same time, what you'll find is that everyone has a right to self-defense. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that those who fight against 
2A or, or other reasonable forms of self-defense have abdicated that right. And I wouldn't take up that argument with anyone who said that um, because I respect their opinions. Um, but when it comes right down to it, everyone should have a basic fundamental right to self-defense. And maybe that's the way you bring some of those people in and incrementally get them to where you want them to be. Yeah. Is, 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 you know, I have friends who are perfectly honorable people. They just happen to have a different perspective than I do on politics, but they all believe in the Second Amendment and they believe in the right to self-defense. And I think one of the things we can probably all do as uh, firearms owners is take an opportunity, uh, at least a couple times a year, but not more, to invite people who've never fired a gun. Take them to the range. Sure. In fact, uh, our organization in, in San Diego promotes uh, opportunities to uh, mentor new shooters at local shooting ranges on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And you could go work a couple hours and really change someone's perspective. And then, you know, maybe over time, this is how we get to where we want to be. So... I mentioned insurance, so why would insurance be a topic for this show? Concealed carry insurance. Concealed carry insurance specifically because as more and more states are constitutional carry and and of those uh, other states, you know, permits are becoming easier and easier to get in those that still require it, is carry insurance a good idea? Some would, most people don't have it. Uh, most people don't have it because most people don't think they're ever going to need it. But along the same lines, most people are never going to actually need the firearm they're carrying either. Most police officers will never draw their weapon in anger or in, in, in necessity, I should say. Well, it depends, of course, if you're in certain places, you're probably drawing it weekly or daily. <laughs> that's true. But that's not, yeah, you're right, that's not most of them. But the fact of the matter is that if you draw your firearm in anger or if you draw your firearm even with the supposition that something's going to happen, very likely you're going to end up in court. Uh, because mm-hmm. what happens? Um, it, you scare someone off. You know the criminals have cell phones too, and the thought that this that the criminals don't call the cops—that's wrong. They do, and they will call and say that you were a person Menacing threatening them. them. Yes, and the first person who calls probably owns the narrative when the police arrive. They're oftentimes given deference to on the situation. That's true. That's right. So so. I would say, in in my personal opinion, uh, and and again, um, your opinion can be registered at frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com. Again, frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com. That the likelihood of needing your firearm and the likelihood of needing carry insurance are equal, are exactly equal. Because when that day comes, you're going to need legal representation. Absolutely. In and navigating a system that you don't understand. So is the best thing to do to look, you know, in the phone book or the virtual phone book as it is nowadays. It's not the time to do it. When... Not the time. No, it's not. You want to have that card in your wallet. You want to know what to say to the police. You want to know how to say it to the police. You want to know how to control the scene uh, after something happens. Um, you want to be able to articulate only a certain amount and not articulate too much because most people try to say too much. Right. So what do you use, Ken? I uh, am a member of the uh, USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association. Mm-hmm. Um, there are um, a few, a handful, I think about five or six uh, nationwide insurance um, companies that are out there. Um, there are comparison uh 
that you can look up between what each one represents. Um, I picked USCCA because of the fact that they were an organization that uh, appears to meet my particular needs. They come out with a magazine, a very good magazine. I actually enjoy it very much. comes out, I think, about 10 times a year. The, the price is reasonable. It can cover me and, and my family with basically, I think, any uh, legal weapon. Um, the price, I look at it as being like a, a few pennies over a dollar a day. And there are other companies that offer uh, slightly different protection. And, and Craig, what do you what do you use? I use CCW Safe. Now, why would Ken and I choose something different? Because when we each read the fine print, we each see different things in that fine print. In my case, I am not saying anything bad about USCCA or or the choices that Ken makes. I found that in my circumstance, I was a little concerned about USCCA's approach to certain problems in terms of uh, how cases are pled and so on. Uh, some of the coverages are different, uh, so I chose CCW Safe. But um, I think you can actually have multiple ones, too, although Craig and I were talking about that uh, earlier. I mean, if you had the money, you could probably have both. Or I, yeah, and again, but we're not lawyers, we're so not we, lawyers, don't, know, so we right? don't know. And and there could be advantages or disadvantages to such an approach. So why would that be? But why would that be? If you're spending, let's just throw a number out there uh, and say $500 a year on insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you could buy a new gun for $500. It's so good. why would that? why would that be considered a value proposition? So I guess the reason why I think uh, spending about five hundred dollars uh, a year for personal insurance on something I hope to never use is the same reason I do it for uh, my house. Um, I uh, hope and anticipate that I'm never going to have to say my house burned down or was damaged in an earthquake or or any number of things. I had a worker fall off the roof when they were fixing something. I have insurance because I need to protect my assets and. My assets are things that I've literally worked my entire life for, and I know that uh, judges can can come after you, and if if they find you guilty of something, they can take your house, and they can pretty much take everything. You can take your 401k, take, take everything, and all of that needs to be protected against because that is literally what I'm going to be, what I'm planning on relying on uh, for the rest of, rest of my life. So the insurance of $500 a year, is a cost of doing business. It's a cost of remaining safe. It's also, uh, it gives me a peace of mind, and that's very important. So let's tell the listeners where a place you can go if you haven't seen this already at concealedcarry.com. Again, concealedcarry.com. There is an excellent site there uh, that you can pull up a table uh, that was last updated in August of uh, 22, so it's, it's reasonably recent. Uh, that lays out in very simple terms uh, what type of coverage there are, costs, uh, whether it actually is insurance or not, because some of these are not literally insurance, according to the laws of different states, whether civil damages are included, uh, whether appeals are included, whether any type of legal weapon is included, uh, whether it's valid in all 50 states or not, whether or not there are 24-hour emergency numbers, all these different elements are laid out for you. Uh, their table happens to contain seven different companies, and it has links to each one of them that you can get. Uh, so you can look at it, see what makes sense for you, follow those links, and and please, please do consider getting uh, carry insurance, particularly if you are in a situation where you're a constitutional carry state. And, and let's be honest, 
you haven't gone through the training to understand what to do in an actual shooting. Uh, there are plenty, if you take a look at Active Self-Protection, uh, the John Korea site, and look at his YouTube channel, and look at all the different content that's there that talks about uh, what went right and what went wrong in actual shootings. There's so many examples of people who get this wrong and take a good shoot and turn it into a bad shoot. So don't turn it into a bad shoot. Right. Educate yourself. And uh, there's a lot of good YouTube videos out there on what you need to, what you need to say to an officer, um, both when you make the phone call, the first 911 call, as well as when they show up. And at some point, uh, fairly certain after that, you're going to want to say something like, I will make a full statement on what happened through my lawyer and then shut up. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing people can do is to shut up. Right, right. So now we're talking about survival in the context of the legal environment. Let's talk survival rifles for a minute there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Fun. What, what can would be one of your favorite survival rifles? And why would you use a survival rifle? What do you, what, why would you carry what is usually a lightweight, low-power gun? What would be the scenario that you would use that? Uh, it's a backpacking gun. It's a camping gun. It's a, it's a truck gun or a, something you stuff in the back of your car you hope you never need type of deal. I have a numerous ones. I kind of have a, 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 a small collection of them. Um some of them are have actually gone up in value quite a bit since I bought them because they're no longer made. Um, and some of them are still fairly common and fairly inexpensive. A lot of them are uh, based on your typical 22, 22 long rifle, which is your probably most common round in the entire world. It is, um, it's, it's a good round for survival. Um, I wouldn't want to go up against Kodiak Bear. <laughs> If I were stuck on Kodiak Island with that, but nonetheless, it, in most situations, uh, it would allow you to survive. You could uh, get a rabbit or something like that to keep yourself alive until you were able to extricate yourself from that situation. But some of the um, some of the survival rifles that I have, I was fortunate enough uh, a number of years ago to pick up a um, a Springfield uh, M6, which is their um, it's a 410 over a, in my example, a 22 long rifle. It was originally designed for the United States um, Air Force and uh, came in a couple of different versions. One was in blue steel and one was in stainless steel. I've mentioned this before. If a gun comes in blue steel and stainless steel and it's only a few dollars more, I almost always will buy it in stainless steel. They're still available on the used market. Uh, the other ones that I have and I've actually enjoyed quite a bit are the Chiapa Little mm. little Badger, mm -hmm. which uh, comes in, I think, uh, three different calibers and 22 long rifle, which is what I have mine in. Comes in uh, 17, 0.17 uh, uh, Magnum, I think, and also in 22 Magnum. I think there are three calibers available. Great little gun, super lightweight, fun little thing to accessorize. Uh, turn it into all sorts of accurate, just, just all in all, 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 probably one of my favorite guns to, to accessorize. You can buy them for like around two hundred dollars. I think they would be a great project gun for a uh, a new shooter to build themselves a survival rifle for a Boy Scout or somebody like that who'd be interested in that. The other one I uh, uh, that's very common is the what used to be made by Charter Arms is now made by Henry, uh, which is the AR7. That's uh, right. 
And I have one of those AR7s, and I gotta, I gotta, you know, join you on that one because that to me, as as a a backpack gun, it does take a little bit to put it together because it comes in a broken down state. But it floats. But it floats. Uh, <laughs> if you happen to be a boater, and I'm not, but a fantastically fun little gun. Um, it does take a little bit of breaking in to make it reliable, in my experience. Well, you least. have the uh, yours is an Armalite, isn't mine? It? No, mine's the Charter Arms Charter flavor, Arms. right? Okay. And I don't know how much Henry has changed things in the design. I know that now uh, it holds more magazines in the buttstock than it used to, but it's Two still a, a, a one. Yeah. yeah, mine was a one, um, but it still is a, is a fantastically fun little gun and, and easy. Another one that is actually, I think, is off people's radar. We're talking about Henry again, right? Is the chip yeah, Henry. Yeah. Oh, the, the Henry Mini Bolt. Mini Bolt. Mini Bolt. That's right. Um, Stainless steel. Exactly. And you might think, well, that's a kid's gun. But to tell you the truth, it'll take home a rabbit. It'll take home something that... And, and you know what? People will say bad things about 22s. The numbers are that 22s are probably more lethal than people think to begin oh, with. Oh, far more, yeah. And... And honestly, if you really think that a twenty two isn't lethal, then I'm waiting for the pers- first person who wants to stand downrange <laughs> no. from me um, when I'm shooting a twenty two in their direction. I don't, don't think I'm going to see many hands no. go up. No. Why? Because it still is, you know, it, it can get the job done when maybe you don't have another option. Yeah. Um, another example that I saw recently at, at this year's SHOT Show that I thought, to me, was fantastic and I'm not even sure if I would say it's maybe the new standard bearer. Um, it, and by the way, it's not the Ruger 10-22, but it does use the Ruger 10-22 magazine, is the uh, Winchester Wildcat. Uh, very light, ergonomically superior, uh, and, and just a fantastic gun. Have yet to shoot it, so I have to qualify a fantastic gun in the what I think it's going to be. Uh, also... Comes in uh, different um, finishes uh, in terms of uh, woodstock or fiberglass or uh, a polymer stock uh, that comes in different patterns. If if uh, you want something camouflage, for example, but it does use uh, the ten twenty two magazine, uh, which makes me think that I guess Ruger's patent on that design must have worn out years ago, and now other companies can use that. that Probably uh, because the ten twenty two has been out since the early nineteen sixties, I believe. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I'm not much of a gun historian, so I don't know how long it's been out. But it's been out a while for certain. A survival gun that doesn't... Now, if you're the kind of person who can afford, you know, a short-barreled AR, and, you know, throw it in a backpack, and, about it. and that is your survival gun, God love you, friend. I think that's a, that's a fantastic, you know, idea, too. It's obviously much more versatile. Uh, but for those of us who have never really thought along the lines of having something... Other than let's say a deer rifle, or 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 a full size AR, having a trunk gun that is a twenty two, uh, I think is is essentially mandatory. Another thing that I wanted to point out today, uh, talking optics. I mentioned last time uh, that we're going to touch on optics, and I'm going to talk about uh, just for a moment one of my favorite companies, Athlon, uh, which is A T H L O N. They make you know everything from top to bottom in terms of quality and price points. Uh, but a couple items I wanted to point out uh, that I have personal experience with. Uh, the Talos series of uh, LPVOs is a second focal plane, uh, low power scope, um, designed ostensibly for the AR. Why do I like it? Because it offers an excellent eye box. And, and I don't want to get too technical on this show, but talk about things like eye relief, the size of the eye box, exit pupil. 
so on and so forth. I have compared that optic directly with other LVPOs and found that uh, the forgiveness that you get with a large eye box and the area, essentially the area you can put your head and still get a good image uh, is superior to the competition. Uh, the optics are very flat, and by that I mean that when you look across, the, if you scan the scope, what you shouldn't see is the image distorting edge to edge in a way that makes it look like it's, it's a, what they call either barrel or pincushion distortion. Uh, those are terms really borrowed from the photography world. And it is an SFP, though, which is second focal plane. Now, what does that mean? If you, if you don't know, that means that the reticle does not change dimensionally uh, proportion to the zoom. Uh, a second focal plane scope is only accurate in terms of its markings at the maximum um, magnification, which in this case is 4x. So basically you're saying that when you, uh, when you zoom a scope, second focal plane, the reticle, the crosshairs, are with whatever markings are on it, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're going to remain fixed. They remain fixed. They remain in focus, uh, but they do not change in size. Whereas first focal plane, because the reticle is is point is at a point in the scope where the uh, image converges for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, will change proportional to the zoom function. So as you zoom in, you go from a three power to a nine power. You're not only zooming the image of what you're aiming at; you're also zooming in on the crosshair. Exactly. There are actual dual-plane scopes, but they're very expensive, and the dual-plane scope contains elements of both first and second focal planes. Uh, I think that's made by U.S. Optics and maybe one or two other companies. We're geeking out. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and, but those are costly, and I'm not talking about those. <laughs> I happen to love first focal plane. I also love first focal plane because this is the Frugal Firearms podcast, and both are FFP. But the fact of the matter is that first focal planes are usually more expensive scopes, and let's think practicality here. Why can would I want a second focal plane in a low power optic for my AR? Uh, value and the fact that you can't hit a, a milk jug more than 100 yards anyway. So, you know. You mean me personally? <laughs> just kidding. Yes, you. Well, personally. I can, usually <laughs> I can hit a milk jug. I'm just razzing. Are you talking a full gallon or a half a gallon? A full gallon, though. No, a half gal a gallon I'd probably have problems well, with. Go. But the, um, the fact of the matter is that the distances that I'm going to employ a one to four power scope. Right. Are probably distances where you know bullet Under drop 100. is is probably not going to be significant. Negligible uh, out to two hundred or so. You're not talking about enough bullet drop yeah. in the types of shooting that I'm doing. And remember, dear you know uh, listeners, I'm about a three MOA shooter, um, and because of that, you know I don't need a twenty five power FFP scope that allows me to pick exactly where I'm going to put that hole. Am I going to put it in the eyeball of something or, you know, someplace else? It's it's just not going to be, you know, something that's part of my reality. It's not part of how I use guns anyway. No. It isn't. Uh, so I think the, the, the second focal plane, specific shout out to the Athlon uh, Talos BTR. The other thing, though, that I would say that I really, now I'm a big, I'm a, a, a EOTech fan. I know that some people are not because of certain problems EOTech has had in their military contracts. Understood. But I've had nothing but excellent uh, customer service from EOTech. But I tell you that I don't necessarily think that they are the ones that would make the 3X magnifier I would want. My favorite, independent of price, independent of price, uh, is the Athlon uh, Midas uh, three-power. Um, Enhancer. The, it, it, so it that's one that folds in front of the... Exactly, yeah. Fold, yeah, yeah uh, you know, that magnifier to me 
um, is optically superior and price is right on point. Now, we're not going to get into a lot of talking specific prices here because, well, with the current economy and inflation, we never know quite know what we're going to end up with. And we also don't want to give you a price that maybe for some reason you can't get either at your local store or right. availability and so on and so forth. But I would encourage people to go look at the, at the Midas magnifier uh, if they want a good magnifier. Right. And one of the things that we should point out, particularly as it relates to firearms, is firearms on the the left coast, I'll call it, out here in California on the left coast, mm-hmm. um, uh, typically speaking, are $100 more expensive than if you were to cross over into Nevada or Arizona or Utah or any of the earlier you know, eastern states, with exceptions, obviously, being the, the typical uh, New England states of uh, New York and you know New Jersey and so forth. But, yeah, there's definitely a, uh, I guess because of all of the additional requirements that the state puts on it, um, a lot of the dealers, they have to compensate for in, in the price on what they're able to do. So, yeah, pr- we're not going to talk prices, but if something's a value here, it's going to be value uh, you know, across the U.S. Anywhere, right. Anywhere. Yeah, and and I mentioned in the first show, I'll give them a shout-out again, by the way. They're not sponsoring the show. This is no. a, a real endorsement yeah. uh, because I find real value in gun.deals mm-hmm. um, is uh, is a website, wikiarms.com, um, are, are places to look uh, to find the best deals on the thing you want. And, and I will tell you from personal experience, if you can't get the thing you want locally, I'm not saying don't patronize the local guy. Yeah, patronize the local guy. But make that FFL work for a living and make him import that thing you want. You know, find it on gunbroker.com, find it on mm-hmm. gun.deals, find it on wikiarms, uh, find it on grabagun.com, uh, order that thing, bring it in, and, and get that gun in your hands uh, and, and get it out to the range and show it to your friends. And, and, and because they're going to they're gonna see your enthusiasm, they're going to love the fact that you like that product. We got time for one more product tonight. What do you think we cover the Smith and Wesson M and P Shield tonight? Ah, uh, yes, it's the M and P Shield. Uh, M and P Shield came out a, a few years ago, and um, and they now have a second generation. I think a lot of the M and P is military and police. Just to let you know. So Smith and Wesson, which is you know, company's been around all, what 150 years, military and police, and they have this uh, compact uh, shield, uh, the 1.0 version, which is what I have. Uh, it's a single stack. I have it in nine millimeter. Um, and there are a couple of versions of it. There's a California version of it, and there's also a, what I guess, 49, 48 other state version of it. And oddly enough, um, I actually like the uh, California version of it. The California version has some has a little pop-up flag. Um, loaded chamber indicator. Loaded That's cha- right. Yeah, yeah, loaded chamber indicator. Because the, because the people in Sacramento can are trying to keep you safe. Oh, sure. That's right. Yeah, I feel so much safer. Yes. Um, but, yeah, oddly enough, uh, a lot of the M&Ps, and I have some older ones, um, uh, other calibers and stuff uh, that were that I that I have, and they basically had a hole on the top. Uh, we, we have to look down to see if there's a brass, basically, inside the chamber. And the little pop-up indicator I actually like because it's tactile. You can see it, in the, you, know, you can feel it in the middle of the night, you know, in the dark type of deal. You instantly know whether there's a, uh, a loaded round in the chamber or not so i like it uh single stack is what's available so it's i think it's uh seven rounds uh, eight with one in the chamber and uh they make an eight round for it too i have the 1.0 also and they make an eight round yeah uh, that's the one with a little bit of a finger extension still legal in your 10 uh you know 
around limit states. Right. And um, the next one, the 2.0 version, is not available in California. I think that's a double stack or a staggered stack, and they've gone up to a 12-round capacity or something like that. I'm not sure, yeah. and Well, it's unobtainium in uh, California unobtainium. unless you buy it from a, uh, you know, a, a law enforcement officer who doesn't want his gun anymore. I guess the only problem I have with it is the version we have does have the thumb safety, does. Um, which I think is of dubious value. Yeah, um, you either like it. I actually do like the thumb safety too, oddly enough. But yes, I know some who you don't have to use it if you don't want to use the thumb safety. But right, yeah, you know, obviously, yeah. I guess it's not a bad thing to have there. Not a bad you thing know, if you leave it off. Uh, it's very if small, that's... and if you know it's there. Well, that's the problem. It's very small, and it's, it's hard to small. engage. It is hard to engage or disengage or disengage as yes. it were. Yes, yeah, indeed. which could be a more important thing. Right, and and how many people, um, if you've heard the term, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to take your safety off. <laughs> well. Think about that for a minute, because uh, I've I've uh, fallen victim to that too at, at uh, a couple of training exercises where oh the gun doesn't shoot well that's because I haven't developed being a Glock guy and I will admit that I am a well invested Glock guy the idea of dropping the safety on that gun just for some reason doesn't feel natural where on a 1911 it feels completely natural right. I don't know why um, but but that is the reality of it. So, anything else we want to cover tonight, Ken? Or no, I suppose we'd like to hear from our listeners, and they can start writing things down in the comments area or sending us email mm -hmm. um, and to tell us what they'd like us to talk about. Because I mean, uh, Craig and I have been uh, involved in firearms now for forty years, probably, and we have a wide range of experience. We enjoy the shooting sports. Uh, we've done most everything at one time or another. And we have opinions on a lot of things and would love to hear what you'd like us to talk about. Indeed. And how do people get a hold of us? Well, we have a Gmail account. And, Greg, I'll let you... We do. And that is Frugal Firearms Podcast, all one word, Frugal Firearms Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, you can either just send it to myself, Kit Craig, C-R-A-I-G, not Greg, um, or Ken, uh, or both of us. Like I said, questions, comments, criticisms, uh, because criticism can be a gift, right? Sure. Um, as long as it's constructive. Mm -hmm. If you troll us, then we're probably not going to really spend a lot of time responding. And if you are a manufacturer, if you make accessories, if you make guns themselves, if you make anything that relates to the firearm industry... Uh, and with an emphasis on value. With an emphasis on value, then you are a potential guest on this show. If you're interested in sponsoring the shows, reach out to us because eventually that will become important. It is not important yet, but it will be. Um, and those who get in early will obviously reap the benefits of being in early. Um, or if you um, want to be a guest on the show for any other reason because you think that you have legitimacy in the training industry or other support industries, then reach out to us as well because sustainability of this show is really predicated on getting those people uh, who have opportunities to represent value out in front of the listeners. So this is your forum. That's the focus point. If that's what you think you are, and you can prove that in about a 15 or 20 minute segment during our show, we want you on the show. So that's all we have for you tonight. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on the Frugal Firearms, Firearms. Podcast. Absolutely. <laughs>